Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. This will be the week of December 29th, 2023. I'm Pat Steele, and all material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Here's our first story from the Business Record. Our first story is entitled, County Recalls Dad's Advice, City's Achievements as He Prepares to Leave Office. Frank County remembers getting a call from his dad who wanted to offer some advice as county's first city council campaign came to a close. It was the same day his dad died, just before county was to take the stage for a debate with his opponent. It is one of many memories he shared as he reminisced on his 20-year career as Des Moines mayor and his time spent on the city council and on various boards and commissions beforehand. County, age 75, will end his fifth term as mayor when County Bozen is sworn in on January 8th. Before he was elected mayor, County served two years on the city council. He ran and was elected mayor in 2003 and took office in 2004 after then-mayor Preston Daniels announced he would not seek re-election. He was previously elected to city council, filling an opening created when George Flagg did not run again. County also served as chair of the city's Planning and Zoning Commission. During his time in office, Des Moines has seen growth, major growth, and a revitalization of its downtown district, including the East Village. The county, whose family owns County Furs, said the transformation of downtown was a result of a collaboration of elected officials, business owners, bankers, and the limited number of people who lived downtown at the time. We asked, What can we do to make this place more exciting and more inviting, he said. There was a change that was taking place. Downtown Des Moines was once the hub of retail for Iowa, County said, but with the exodus from downtown over the years as shopping malls in the suburbs became popular, we had to look at what downtown Des Moines needed to be. There was disagreement initially about what the vision should be as some people wanted to level the area and build strip malls and parking lots, he said. We rebelled. In our little group, our downtown Des Moines Incorporated, we said no. What we really need is people living downtown, so we started pushing to do that. He pointed to the success of the Brown Camp Lofts and the Plaza. And we pushed people to take some of those old warehouses and do it. And they had success, and as that slowly transitioned, so 25 years ago we were pushing to have that happen, County said. Today, there are as many as 17,000 people living downtown with more residential units planned, according to County. He said that has created an interesting situation where people are not only working downtown, but they're living downtown. He credited in great part to people who live downtown for the ongoing revitalization of downtown Des Moines. It's the people living down here that has changed it. It made the downtown of Des Moines really special place and a place where people want to be near. County cited not only the surge in downtown housing, but also the advent of walking and biking paths that connect downtown to the region. He said it took a concerted effort by the city to approach business owners in the East Village to revitalize the neighborhood, which the outgoing mayor said was once an Army-Navy store in buildings with nasty false storefronts. The city worked hard with people who thought there was something great in the East Village and they were ought to work together to do it. He said Archie Brooks was on the city council at the time. The two of them worked to help facilitate change. We worked really hard with those business owners and said, 
If the city redoes Locust Street and the sidewalks, will you as property owners redo your businesses and take all those fake fronts off and open up those brick buildings? Brick buildings, I should say. And even on new stuff, lots of brick and stone. And they agreed to do it. And now, what a great walkable place. This is Destination Retail. We really have some exciting stuff, but it's happened again with elected officials working with business owners and property owners and trying to make good things happen. It's that communication with residents and businesses over the years that has made a difference, County said. To me, that's been the essence to a lot of work that I've done. It's listening to the residents, it's listening to neighborhood organizations, to businesses, and finding out what makes this place a place where you want to expand your business, grow your business, start your business. What would make Des Moines that place? County says he reviews the revitalization of downtown as one of the major achievements that happened during his time in office. It could have just faded away and been nothing but a bunch of empty buildings, he said. We have planned together, we've thought together, and we've made it a special place. This is something County would like to have seen accomplished during his time in office has been left undone. He said there's a never-ending list of things, whether it's working on 2nd Avenue or 6th Avenue, working on parks and how we move people around and upgrade our streets. It seems every time, as I considered running, we have another set of things to be done. The work at City Hall is never-ending. Sure, there's all kinds of stuff I'd like to think we could get done and call it a day, but when we get there, there would be another pile of things that needed to be done. What influence did county's parents have on he said, I got to tell you, I never thought I would ever consider anyone else who was halfway insane running for elected office. But to me, I guess I reflect back to my family and my dad. He served on the school board and so did my mom. But he always stood on that we live in this community, we have a business in this community, and our employees are here. We have been able to survive and make a living here. We need to give back to our community to make it better. He volunteered early on with business groups, the American Cancer Society, and the Red Cross, among others. I felt those were good services, but I could serve on boards and commissions that would benefit the whole of the community, and listening to them was important and that I need to be a good listener and try to work with anybody and everybody possible to make this community what it should be to fulfill the dreams of those that live here and make their lives better. County said he feels that he's become more understanding of the needs of others and their circumstances and try to figure out ways to assist them and help them and boost them. What advice would he give the city and business leaders to continue the momentum of downtown and the region? He said, for me, most importantly, we need to think together and work together because circumstances are going to change. Technology is going to change where people work, how people work, where people live, how people live the amenities that they want around them, and we need to continue to listen and work together, plan together, and create together. The groundwork we do today, hopefully, is the foundation work for the next 100 years. After he leaves office, county plans to focus on the family business and dream with my family and try to figure out what that next move is. County said his dad, Charles, who died in October 2001, always had advice for him, even on the day he died. County recalled a voice message, message that his dad left, calling from a flip phone he had just learned to use. He said, Frank, call your dad. I've got some advice for you, was the message that was left. County said, speaking in a gruff voice, trying to imitate his dad. He would usually talk about how you're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing it to better Des Moines. 
stay in there, listen to others. He was big on convening and working together, County said. He received his dad's final words of advice earlier in the day after visiting him at the hospital after receiving the message. County said he intended to go back to the hospital after the debate that evening. County recalled getting emotional as he spoke. I saw people working on a campaign and my daughter and he, a campaign worker, comes up on stage and said, your dad just passed. So I excused myself from the debate and said to everyone, sorry, I have to leave. My dad just passed. I'm headed to the hospital. Again, that uh, was a story by Michael Crum, who's a senior staff writer at the Business Record, an interview with uh, current mayor and soon uh, to be former mayor, uh, County, Frank County. of The Young Women's Resource Center seeks nomination for the 2024 Louise Rosenfield Down Visionary Award. Young Women's Resource Center has announced that it is accepting nominations for its 2024 Louise Rosenfield Noun Visionary Award. The award recognizes a local leader who is dedicated to enhancing the lives of girls and women in the community. Nominations will be accepted through January 8th. Nomination guidelines, instructions, and other information about the award can be found on the Young Women's Resource Center website. The 2024 winner will be honored and asked to speak as part of the 25th annual W, I'm sorry, YWRC, that's the Young Women's Resource Center, Empower Gala on April 13th at the Hilton in Des Moines, uh, downtown Des Moines. For more information about the Young Women's Resource Center Empower Gala and to purchase tickets, you can uh, do that at their website. Previously honored Louise Rosenfeld Noun Visionary Awardees include Connie Weimer, Lorraine May, R. Lucia Riddle, Dr. Rebecca Shaw, Wanda Everidge, Sharon Mahiro, Julie McGuire, Mary Brubaker, Roxanne Conlon, Judge Artis Reese, Joel Olson, Barbara Mack, Susan Knapp, uh, Judy Bradshaw, Jan Freed, Mary Lynn Jones, Sandy Hatfield Club, Connie Bozen, Dr. Deborah Ann Turner, Deidre Desher, Katie Patterson, Reku Basu, Renee Hardman, and Don Martinez Oropeza. The award honors the legacy of a Louise Red Rosenfield Noun, a feminist and philanthropist who founded the Young Women's Resource Center. Downtown Des Moines is finishing 2023 strong with increased foot traffic numbers and notable economic develop, uh, development projects. Officials with the Greater Des Moines Partnership said in its downtown DSM quarterly report for the fourth quarter. The report, released earlier in December, covers the period from September 1st through November 30th. It is intended to highlight momentum and trends for downtown Des Moines on a quarterly basis and to elevate and celebrate the key wins in the central business district and the community. The vibrant atmosphere in downtown DSM has led to increased engagement from workers, residents, and visitors, said Renee Mauck, Vice President of Downtown Development at the Partnership. Recent holiday events in the bustling downtown farmer's market and winter market have highlighted the city's lively spirit while ongoing economic development projects see continued investment from the business community. Some of the findings from the report show that, one, downtown foot traffic is up 8% year-over-year through November 30th and is at 84% of pre-pandemic levels. 
Workday foot traffic downtown is up more than 30% year over year. Foot traffic during the work week averaged 66%, while weekend foot traffic averaged 91%. The report showed downtown Des Moines foot traffic exceeds the national rate of 49% of pre-pandemic levels, according to the National Castle Back to Work Barometer. The partnership helped with two business location expansion projects, including projects for Pitchley and Tumbleweed. Downtown development projects included $1 million in capital investment. Other notable projects mentioned in the report include Open Loop Health renaming its downtown headquarters, Maverick opening its regional headquarters in the nationwide building, and Des Moines International Airport breaking ground on its new terminal in October. There were nearly 918,000 impressions on downtown DSM social media channels with more than 39,000 engagements. There were more than 50,000 visitors to the downtown DSM website. The report also lists various rankings in which Des Moines was mentioned as being among the best place to live, as well as various data from Operation Downtown, including 254,193 pounds of trash removed, 45,300 dog waste bags replenished, 94,000 cigarette butts recycled, and 713 pieces of graffiti removed. West Des Moines Historical Society launches a major fund drive. The West Des Moines Historical Society has launched a $500,000 fund drive to secure operating revenue to continue its mission to, quote, safeguard and celebrate the cultural legacy of West Des Moines, unquote. The organization, which owns and maintains the Jordan House and Bennett School Museums, will use the funds to care for historic buildings, preserve historic documents, train staff, and expand educational programs, according to a news release. In the past three months, more than $200,000 has been raised toward the goal of $500,000. And as we uh, bring 2023 uh, to a close, the business record business reporters, uh, business record reporters share their top 2023 stories. So we'll take a look at those. With uh, two business record daily e-newsletters e each day, three weekly niche newsletters, and a weekly print edition, the business record shares hundreds of news stories by the end of the year. The newsroom staff works throughout the year to keep the business community apprised of the topics and issues that affect them and get to know some stories very well as they progress and evolve. And uh, following our business record reporters highlight one original story they wrote this year that has been notable for the business community. And the first one featured is uh, run by Nicole Grunmeyer. She's a staff writer, and uh, her article is on Iowa's gender balance law may be on the chopping block. The Iowa legislature will likely soon debate an Iowa law that goes back to the 1980s and was created to ensure that women are fairly represented on Iowa's boards and commissions. Currently, Iowa requires that appointments to state boards and commissions result in gender-balanced boards. About 12 years ago, the rules were expanded with some additional leeway to cover panels appointed by counties and cities. But a state panel this fall recommended repealing the law entirely to, quote, allow the most qualified Iowans to serve, unquote. Advocates for Iowa women have raised flags about the state panel's recommendation, which can be found in the story. 
Karen Kordolsky is a professor of political science and director of the Carrie Chapman Katz Center at Iowa State University. She said that about a dozen states have recommendations for state-level positions, but that Iowa's requirement that half or nearly half of each panel be women, be women stands alone. Kodowski said, when we look at the 38 states or so that don't have any recommendation or mandate, what we see is that men are overwhelmingly overrepresented on state-level boards and commissions. The exceptions usually fit stereotypes, women making up half or the majority of boards dealing with the arts or preservation, she said. So mandates matter, and they do ensure more diversity. Next article is written by Kathy Bolton. It's $350 million mixed-use development plan for Waukee. And Kathy writes that Dixon Jensen, a developer who lives in Ames, announced plans last June for Kettlestone Central Sports Complex, which is a $350 million development plan on 160 acres in Waukee. The development is expected to include over 1,000 residential dwellings, restaurants, bars, retail shops, hotels, and other commercial offerings as well as two field houses. Next story was done by Sarah Dean. She's a staff writer, and she wrote about Maple Studios' complete renovation and is open to new members. Highlights of that story include the evolution and growth of Maple Studios, formerly known as Maple Ventures, is one of the story storylines that Sarah followed this year. In March, it debuted its newly renovated space on the campus of Ramco Innovations, where it started in 2018. Maple Studios director Megan Brandt took the opportunity to refresh the identity of Maple Studios, branding it as a startup studio where early-stage industrial technology companies can have office space, receive fractional service from Ramco's administrative team, and exchange knowledge with the company's technical teams. The other major development was the announcement of a new Maple Studios located based on Grace Technologies in Davenport. Brandt and Grace CEO Drew Allen uh, sat down with Sarah uh, in September and they shared more. The Maple Studios story will continue in 2024 as the new Quad Cities location gets off the ground and Ramco goes through an acquisition by Sukup Manufacturing Company, which will create a new entity called Sukup innovations. Kyle Helm, a staff writer for the Business Record, wrote about bridging the gap improving maternal and rural health symposium, an event held on October 30th in Ankeny, and it brought attention to the decline of maternal health care access in Iowa. A rising number of obstetric units are shutting down with 42 closing the doors between 2000 and 2021. In addition, Iowa ranks 52nd out of 52 states and territories for OBGYN, OBGYN physicians per capita, according to data from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Speaking at the symposium in October, Stephen Hunter, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, said the closures and lack of OBGYN physicians in the state have created a crisis of access, driving an immense expansion of obstetric deserts in our state. Elsewhere in the business record, economic leaders share their 2024 commercial development outlook. 
The business record reached out to several city economic development leaders to ask them about the commercial development outlook for 2024. The business record is published in their responses in today's newsletter and will again uh, next week's edition on January 3rd. Here's the question the business record asked the leaders. The pace of starts for new commercial projects slowed throughout much of the metro area in 2023. What is the outlook for new commercial starts in 2024 in your community and do you anticipate an increase in 2023? Why or why not? Also, can you share what types of projects have been discussed with city officials? So the first person to interview was Chad Quick. He's the economic development director at, uh, in Altoona. In his response, while major commercial starts and finishes have decreased, activity is still strong and we are seeing interest in future development. 2024 will bring more industrial and commercial retail projects. There's been a large expansion in warehouse distribution space over the last few years, so it's natural those are slowing, but interest in these types of projects is still strong. There are a few restaurants opening in late 2023 into early 2024 with others looking for space. We're also in the early stages of some larger mixed use and redevelopment projects that could begin in 2024. Next up to be interviewed was Cody Christensen, Development Services Director for Des Moines. And he said, Des Moines Development Services staff recently engaged in conversations with real estate developers and architect firms on insights and predications for commercial development sector trends in the next year. Though developers indicated increasing challenges in obtaining and securing financing for commercial construction projects due to overall costs, in the increasing interest rate environment, they maintain optimistic views of what 2024 may bring. Architecture firms reinforce this sentiment, indicating that they have remained busy working on new designs for projects they expect to launch once interest rates begin to decline. We expect confidence to build throughout 2024, which will help drive increases in our commercial development activity. And finally, Jennifer Brown, the Economic Development Director of Waukee, answered the question this way. Commercial growth in Waukee continued its upward trajectory in 2023 with more than $77 million of new commercial valuation. The city of Waukee is optimistic about growth in 2024. The population continues to expand and commercial corridors are filling in, which brings increasing number of visitors to Waukee. New restaurant, retail, and hospitality projects are planned for the Waukee Town Center, Kettlestone Central, and Key Town Loop. Notable projects set to open in 2024 include the Iowa Clinic South, Unity Point Medical Park, Loft Hotels, Target, and Apple's Data Center. The uh, trend of online sales is expected to pick up the pace in 2024, reshaping business model and need for space. This is an article written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. The trend of consumers buying online will only continue to grow, causing some retailers to consider shrinking their brick and mortar footprints as fewer customers shop in person. That's according to one Des Moines shop owner who indicated possible plans to downsize his store's presence in other markets in the coming years. While the trend of people shopping online and retailers adjusting their footprints may be nothing new, it might pick up pace in 2024, forcing more companies to rethink their business models, 
said Mike Draper, the owner of the t-shirt shop Raygun. Raygun operates stores in nine cities, including its popular East Village location. Draper said that in 2019, Raygun was a brick-and-mortar store with an online presence. 75% of sales were in-store with 25% online. Now it's a 50-50 split, and Raygun is more of an online brand that has brick-and-mortar stores, he said. Draper added, in 2020, we had to go online, so 2020 was a big inflection point as online skyrocketed. For brick-and-mortar neighborhoods, the mantra has always been when people return. Now we're a few years out, and we've run the data sets, and we can see that we're in a new era of retail, and it's not 100% clear what that is, but it's not what it was before the pandemic. Sakur Raju, the Gary and Margaret Pent faculty fellow and chair of the Ivy College of Business Marketing Department at Iowa State University, said that while consumers have not pulled back on spending, the way they spend has changed. He said, as far as retail sales go, if you look at in-store purchases, they are growing, but it's not spectacular. They're just marginally growing. The real growth is on the e-commerce side. That is growing really significantly. That has been going on for some time, and we are not seeing a slowdown in the shift to online shopping. While online shopping is growing faster than in-person sales, it still makes up only about 20% of retail sales, he said. Another growing trend, according to Raju, is retail is companies implementing fees to return online purchases. A large reason for the growth in online shopping has been people could buy, and if they didn't like it, it was a relatively low friction method of returning it. What's happening in the past few years is a large number of retailers are starting to look at that, ask, and say, how can we reduce this? Raju said the trend of companies charging fees for returns to offset losses from returns will continue to grow. In the short term, it seems to be good for retailers because it's boosting up profits and boosting up the items they're selling that aren't coming back. But charging return fees likely won't affect long-term gains, he said, because growth in e-commerce will continue. Raju said, I don't think customers are going to go back to brick and mortar. What will happen is customers will be shopping around for where the retailer has a better return policy. That may also cause consumers to focus on retailers they can trust rather than just randomly buying products online. It's still going to be online, but the convenience of online shopping is not going away. That means every business needs to have a strong online presence. Data shows a large part of the growth seem to be with small and medium brick-and-mortar stores going online, Raju said. Consumers are also beginning to focus more on buying local if the product they're looking for is offered. Raju said the trend of shopping malls struggling to keep tenants and shoppers will likely also continue in 2024. I don't think people are seeing a real compelling reason why they should go to a mall. There are certain things like jewelry, for example, where it makes sense, but almost everything at a mall you can get online. What I would expect is that malls will continue to face trouble in terms of attracting people and I think that a longer trend is going, that as a longer trend is going to continue. The National Retail Federation won't release its forecast for 2024 until next spring, but in its forecast for 2023, it projected growth of 4 to 6% for the current year, totaling as high as $5.23 trillion nationwide. Matthew Shaw, 
The organization's president and CEO said in the report, in just the last three years, the retail industry has experienced growth that would normally take almost a decade by pre-pandemic standards. While we expect growth to moderate in the year ahead, it will remain positive as retail sales stabilize to more historical levels. Those numbers are down from 7% growth in 2022, but higher than pre-pandemic growth of 3.6% the report showed. According to the report, non-store and online sales, which are included in the total figure, were forecast to increase 10 to 12% year over year in 2023 to as much as $1.43 trillion. And what are people buying online? Well, according to a Pew Research report in November, online sales in 2022 were up at general merchandise stores, food and beverage stores, and health and personal care stores, while online sales for electronics, appliances, motor vehicle parts, and furniture declined. The businesses getting the highest portion of online sales tend to be those without a physical presence, the Pew report showed. Riley Hogan, who's the senior vice president of CBRE, said there is strong demand for retail space around Jordan Creek Town Center in West Des Moines, and the mall is 100% occupied, he said. Attempts to reach officials with the mall before the deadline for the story were unsuccessful. Hogan said, while some retailers may be downsizing or need less bricks and mortar, we're seeing a demand for the areas that we call A-plus areas. Demand has never been greater, according to Hogan. He said that some retail centers that have lost their anchor stores are working to reposition themselves. He cited work being done at Merle Hay Mall to build an ice arena and the construction of indoor pickleball courts. Another trend, he said, is an increase in demand by retail to be near the sports complexes that are going up around the metro. Hogan said we're seeing a lot of development and retailers wanting to be in and around areas like that that draw in youth sports and the dollars being created in and around those areas. I'm excited about that trend. and It's something the retail industry is embracing. He said he believes downtown businesses will also see a strong 2024 with more employees returning to work in the office, citing the decision by Principal Financial Group to require employees to work from the office three days a week with others considering similar moves. Hogan said, I would say that those numbers are trending up. There's been a lot of tug of war, remote working, and principal's decision is already having a positive impact on businesses downtown, both restaurants and retailers. So I think that's a positive trend. Draper, Raygun's owner, said losses in in-store purchases have been made up through the growth in online sales there's also been a surge in foot traffic into a store by customers who are picking up items purchased online, he said. In-store pickups are double this year from what they were last year. For Raygun, the push by consumers to shop online means that the holiday shopping season can be less busy in-store than other times of the year. So stores, wildly enough, are less busy in December than they are in July. I think the holiday season for a neighborhood shop has changed a lot. If you're in East Village, the summer is almost now more important season than December because people are out and about and they're shopping. Draper said that while no changes are planned for the Des Moines store, stores in Omaha, Chicago, and Cedar Rapids are oversized by the company's model and could be reduced in size. Reagan's models have space of less than 1,900 square feet. He said 
He expects more turnover turnover in neighborhood retail districts, including the East Village. Draper said, I think something major has shifted and we're only at the beginning. I think it's going to be harder to lease brick and mortar street level retail. I think more street level retailers will be going out of business if they don't have alternate streams of income or an online presence. We almost have to look at this as like the startup phase all over again. He said what worked a decade ago won't work now and new approaches are needed to ensure the viability of neighborhood retail businesses. All options have to be on the table, Draper said. The playbook from 10 years ago is not going to cut it this time around. So much has changed. It's a giant fundamental shift in how people behave. He said he thinks what happens in 2024 will set the tone for years to come in the retail sector. Next year will be a harbinger for an entirely new dynamic for retail in America, said Draper. That's a story written by Michael Crum, a senior staff writer at the Business Record. You're listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. We want to thank the folks at Business Publications for for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other Iris program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the Business Record. We'll continue our reading of the 40-year history of the business record. Uh, David Elbert uh, has been writing about this as the business record celebrates its 40th anniversary. And we uh, started this a couple weeks ago, and we'll now uh, go to our third phase of this, and starting with the year 2013. That was the year called Development Surge. Lots of new development in the metro occurred, including new housing in the East Village, Western Gateway Park, and south of Martin Luther King Jr. Senior Parker, Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway. I'm sorry. Facebook and Microsoft said in 2013 that they would spend $1.5 billion and $700 million, respectively, for data centers in Altoona and West Des Moines, the attraction, low-cost energy, and lots of water for cooling high-speed computers. Also in 2013, Principal Financial Group completed work on its iconic Women of Achievement pedestrian bridge on the Riverwalk and announced an ambitious $238 million renovation of its downtown campus, including its 1940 headquarters building at 711 High Street. Also that year, a three-way downtown land swap saw the Polk County Convention Center at 5th and Grand converted to the Wellmark YMCA. Wellmark property near the courthouse became court space, and the former YMCA property on the river was put up for development. Spoiler alert, no developer had a suitable plan. The site was sold to the federal government in 2018 for $6.5 million as the location of a new $136 million federal courthouse. And after years of courting, Southwest Airlines arrived in Des Moines. The low-priced carrier drove down fares and increased traffic at Des Moines International Airport. Moving ahead now to 2014, that was the year of the Yonkers fire. More than 6 million gallons of water were needed to dose a spectacular fire that destroyed half of the vacant downtown Yonkers store on March 29th. The blaze was unlike anything the city had seen since the Statehouse fire in 1904. No one died in 2014, unlike a 1978 blaze that destroyed Yonkers Merle Hayes store and killed 10. 
More than 100 firefighters from four cities fought the blaze that completely destroyed the original 1899 Yonkers store. A 1908 edition remained standing was eventually converted to apartments. The fire damaged several surrounding buildings and removed a key link in the downtown Skywalk system. The site of the original store is now a pocket park. Republican Joni Ernst became the first Iowa woman to serve in Congress. She was elected to a U.S. Senate seat vacated by Democrat Tom Tom Harkin and received 52% of the vote. A former county auditor and state senator, she defeated Democrat Bruce Bailey, a four-term congressman from Northeast Iowa. Ernst promised to cut pork in Congress and make them squeal. She also made effective use of a cell phone video of Bailey prophetically warning Texas trial lawyers that if Republicans gain control of the U.S. Senator of the U.S. Senate, a farmer from Iowa, Chuck Grassley, would become chairman of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. Terry Branstad was re-elected governor with 59% of the vote, defeating Des Moines developer and former state senator Jack Hatch, a Democrat. Moving ahead to 2015, uh, the title for that year was Clean Water. Des Moines Water Works CEO Bill Stowe upped the ante in a long-standing dispute with farmers in northern Iowa by suing drainage districts in three northern counties. Stowe said that nitrate runoff from farm fields was polluting Des Moines' drinking water. He argued that, like other industries, the drainage districts should be required to meet federal clean water standards. The lawsuit was dismissed in 2017, and Stowe died of pancreatic cancer in 2019, but the disagreement between farmers and clean water advocates has only increased since then. Kemen Industries broke ground on its corporate campus in East Des Moines for part of a $125 million expansion. The company was founded in 1961 to make nutritional supplements for animals, but expanded into human health supplements and now employs 3,000 workers worldwide with $500 million a year in revenue. Kemen added cannabis products in recent years and operates a retail cannabis dispensary under the name of Bud and Mary's, which are the names of the founders, R.W. Bud Nelson and his wife, Mary. Dolls Food, founded in 1931 by Wolverine Philbert W.T. Dahl, got into financial difficulties and was taken over by its supplier, Associated Wholesale Grocers of Kansas City. The wholesaler closed two metro area doll stores and rebranded seven others as either Price Chopper or Cash Saver. Moving ahead to 2016, the uh, title here for this year is Presidential Caucuses. The entire nation focused on Iowa on February 1st as Iowa Republicans and Democrats met in precinct caucuses to choose candidates for president. Texas Senator Ted Cruz led Republicans of 28% ahead of New York businessman Donald Trump at 24% and Florida Senator Marco Rubio at 23%. Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, the son and brother of former U.S. presidents, received only 3% and dropped out of the race. February 20th. Hillary Clinton won the Democratic caucuses with 45% over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders with 41%. Trump and Clinton won their party's nominations with Trump going on to win in Iowa in the Electoral College, although Clinton had 2.8 million more votes nationwide. In Iowa, Republicans won control of the Iowa Senate, ousting longtime Democratic leader Michael Grunstall. 
in giving GOP trifecta control of the governor's office, the Iowa House, and the Iowa Senate. And the Des Moines ABI College of Business closed on June 30th after 95 years. The nonprofit college taught accounting and other business courses but struggled financially. In early 2015, AIB President Nancy Williams, a descendant of founder Everett Fenton, announced the 20-acre campus at 2500 Fleur Drive would be gifted to the University of Iowa as a satellite operation. The University of Iowa, which already had a presence in Western Gateway Park, accepted the gift, but decided a year later to close the school, sell the property for $20 million, and apply the proceeds to student scholarship. Moving ahead to 2017, theme for this year was downtown housing. More than 25 years after the Des Moines Vision Plan suggested jumpstarting downtown housing on a hillside north of Principal Financial Group, Hubble Realty built 111 apartments on the site. Instead of launching, instead of a launching pad, Hubble's VU Apartments at 8th and Crocker Streets was an infill project. By 2017, thousands of other housing units had been built downtown, including on two other sites suggested by the 1990s vision planners, an area south of Court Avenue and along the Des Moines River north of City Hall. New housing was also built in the East Village and in the Western Gateway Park neighborhood. Bankers Trust, Iowa's largest privately held bank, celebrated its centennial. The bank has been owned by the Ruan family since the 1960s. It stood strong during the Great Depression and helped farmers in rural Iowans during the farm crisis in the 80s. It's where immigrants new to Des Moines can find bankers who speak 25 languages. Terry Branstad was named ambassador to China by President Donald Trump, ending his 23 years as governor, longer than any state governor in United States history. The move cleared the way for Lieutenant Governor Kim Reynolds to become the first woman to serve as governor of Iowa. I'm sorry, in 2018, the theme for that year was the Krauss Gateway Center. Des Moines' only museum-quality office building, the $160 million Krauss Gateway Center, opened off-site roof lines. They're created by Italian architects Renzo Piano, pay homage to the twisted grid of early Des Moines streets to make it appear like the 159,000-square-foot structures levitating. Unique 29-foot-tall glass walls on the first floor provide spectacular views of the John and Mary Papajohn Sculpture Park, built as a headquarters for Kyle Krause's come-and-go convenience stores, the building was not part of a sale this year of the come-and-go's 400 stores to Utah-based Maverick. The 330-room Hilton Des Moines downtown opened in March, providing an option that convention planners had long sought, a first-class hotel near the Iowa Vents there. $101 million costs were spread among public and private entities. A two-year renovation of Des Moines City Hall cost about $8.6 million, not including $1 million to rent off-site office space. The Riverside City Hall was built in 1910 to emphasize open government with a vast open space on the second floor where many operations and interactions with citizens occurred. As with many renovations, costs climbed quickly, once workers began tearing things apart and discovered what really needed to be done. Republican incumbent Kim Reynolds won a governor's race with 50.3% of the vote, defeating Democratic businessman and philanthropist Fred Hubble, 
Earlier in the year, the Republican-controlled legislature passed a series of tax cuts that would phase in and eventually become the largest tax cut package ever. Moving ahead, the 2019 mayor's race dominated news that year. The Des Moines mayoral contest between incumbent Frank County and challenger Jack Hatch was the closest, nastiest local election in memory. Neither won an outright majority, and the runoff was held on December 3rd, which county won with 50.6% of the vote. Each candidate accused the other of distorting their respective records. Hatch, a former state senator and developer whose properties included unique work-live lofts in the East Village, was accused of using his state position to help his business. County, a longtime local business owner concerned about climate change, was accused of taking luxury trips at city expense to attend national and international conferences. It was county's fifth and final term as mayor, and the only time he faced serious competition since his first election when he defeated city councilwoman Christine Hensley, also in a runoff. In other election news, uh, voters in cities in Polk County finally approved a one-cent local option sales tax after having voted it down five times since the tax was created by Iowa lawmakers in 1985. Most cities said they would use the revenue from the sales tax to reduce property taxes and rebuild streets, sewers, and other infrastructure. Now we move into the decades of the 20s, and of course 2020 was the year of COVID-19. Not since the Vietnam War had the state's media published daily mortality updates on Iowa's. The first COVID-19 death in Iowa was reported on March 24th. More than a week earlier, however, Des Moines Public Schools announced they would close temporarily because of the pandemic. Other schools followed, and Governor Kim Reynolds ordered a statewide shutdown of public schools on April 2nd. By summer, state and federal agencies had created Internet dashboards for tracking the pandemic. At year-end, the dashboard showed 278,600 cases of COVID-19 in Iowa and 1,652 deaths. 1,300,888 Iowans were tested for COVID-19 in 2020, and 236,656 had recovered. School shutdowns became controversial in the fall when the governor ordered them to reopen with unsuccessful pushback from Des Moines and Davenport. Throughout the year, panic surfaced over shortages of masks and other medical equipment, ranging from protective clothing to life-saving ventilators. The pandemic became a political issue in the fall elections when Republicans, led by President Donald Trump, argued against mandatory public health measures as invasions of personal freedom. Trump lost the election to Democrat Joe Biden nationally, but won in Iowa with 53% of the vote. And Iowa was among a handful of states where Republicans claimed victory. The GOP added five seats to the Iowa House to boost its majority of 59 to 41 and maintained a 32 to 18 edge in the Iowa Senate. Republican Senator U.S. Republican U.S. Senator Joni Ernst won re-election with 54% of the vote. 2021 was a year of tax cuts. Emboldened by Iowa's 2020 elections, Republicans in the Iowa State House doubled down on their 2018 tax cuts. Ignoring the economic havoc surrounding COVID, lawmakers voted to speed up implementation of the tax cuts with an effective date of January 1st, 2023. <clears throat> Excuse me, the new law cut the top individual income tax rate from 8.53% 
to 6.5% and reduced the number of tax brackets from 9 to 4. It also eliminated the deductibility of federal income taxes, a move that would raise taxes for some Iowans, but eliminated Iowa's inheritance tax and increased tax credits for housing and child care. Republicans said they moved forward because the state coffers were full to overflowing. Democrats said that extra cash was a result of billions of dollars in one-time federal pandemic aid and would soon disappear, creating tighter finances for the state in the future. Democrats also warned that increases for public schools had not kept pace with inflation for several years and test scores were falling. Governor Reynolds' solution focused on spurring competition by creating publicly funded vouchers that parents could use to help pay for private schools. Her proposal narrowly failed in the Iowa House. 2022 was election sweep. The failure of the governor's school voucher legislation led her to do something no governor had ever done. She campaigned in the June primary against three members of her own party who had voted against her voucher bill, and all of them lost. In November, Reynolds easily defeated Democratic Deidre Desire with 58% of the vote, Republicans also made a clean sweep of Iowa's congressional delegation, the first time in modern history that has happened, and they won solid majorities in the Iowa House and Senate and defeated two longtime statewide Democratic office holders, Attorney General Tom Miller and State Treasurer Michael Fitzgerald. State Auditor Rob Sand was the only statewide Democrat to withstand Iowa's red wave. Meanwhile, the landscape in downtown Des Moines was changing again, in January, EMC Insurance Group said it would sell four downtown properties, but later relented and said it would keep Hub Tower and half of the kaleidoscope for a housing project. The Des Moines City Council voted to acquire Nationwide Insurance Building adjacent to the Papa John Sculpture Park and a nationwide parking garage. The plan is to move police and planning offices into the space. And finally, in 2022, MidAmerican Energy agreed to buy the Meredith Publishing that abuts the Meredith Publishing building that abuts the Sculpture Garden from New York investors who had acquired the longtime Des Moines Media Company in 2021 and rebranded it Dot Dash Meredith. When MidAmerican Mid American Energy moves into the space, it will leave five floors of the Ruan Center. And our final look here in this look back on 40 years of business activity in Des Moines. Des Moines University's 1,600 students and 350 employees began fall classes at a new location. The Health Sciences School's new $250 million campus on 88 acres in the southwest corner of West Des Moines replaced its home since 1972, a 24-acre site at 3200 Grand Avenue in Des Moines. DMU began looking for a new location after Des Moines neighbors objected to expansion plans. The West Des Moines site was chosen in 2019. Uh, late in the year, a group of organizations shared plans to create a multi-million dollar shared regional simulation center at 3200 Grand. Maverick finalized its purchase of longtime Iowa company Come and Go. It planned to maintain a corporate office in the Des Moines area and to retain Come and Go's nearly 5,000 employees. Governor Kim Reynolds' crushing election victory was followed with sweeping legislative victories. Republican majorities in both the House and Senate quickly approved Reynolds' private school voucher plan. By fall, nearly 19,000 students, 5,000 more than predicted, had applied for the $7,600 vouchers. 
also approved were laws removing certain books in public school libraries and new rules targeting transgender students. Lawmakers approved, with little discussion, Reynolds' 1,600-page plan to streamline state government by eliminating 21 of 37 state agencies and concentrating more power in the governor's office. In downtown news, Wells Fargo announced plans to vacate two of the three buildings that erected two decades earlier near Western Gateway Park. In addition, long-standing plans for a 33-story residential high-rise got new life when the east half of the Kaleidoscope Mall was demolished in anticipation of construction. Local and state leaders broke ground at a new Des Moines International Airport terminal, which is part of a $570 million project to expand the airport, including increased parking, a new entrance road, and other amenities. The cost of a new terminal is estimated at $445 million. Tiffany Toshek uh, succeeded Jay Byers as president and CEO of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. Simpson College's Board of Trustees confirmed Byers who spent 18 years at the partnership as the school's 25th president on May 15th. And finally, City Councilwoman Connie Bozen became Des Moines' first woman mayor, defeating uh, Councilmember Josh Mandelbaum in a spirited race. And so that's a look back of 40 years of uh, business uh, history in Des Moines, written by David Elbert, a columnist for the business record. And we will close out this week's reading of the business record uh, doing a column from David Elbert, uh, History Making Leaders. And uh, here's what David Elbert had to write. People like Mary Sellers, Teresa Weilert, and the late Mo Dana are the reasons I enjoy covering business. All are or were exceptional chief executives who, in addition to having great ideas, were successful communicators of their vision. Sellers at the Science Center of Iowa and United Way, Weilert at U.S. West Integrated Des Moines Partnership, and Dana with the Des Moines Arts Festival. As I researched the past 40 years of local history for this week's anniversary issue, I was reminded how helpful business leaders have been to me over the years. It started with bankers. As the 1980s farm crisis was an unwinding, one of my earliest teachers was Bob Murray, who led Hawkeye Bank Corporation's chain of mostly rural banks. Despite the negative publicity Hawkeye's troubled banks received, Murray helped me understand what was important. Years later, Mike Early, who began his career at Hawkeye and rose to the top at Bankers Trust, was also a valued source for local and national banking news. Another mentor was Lynn Horak, the head of Iowa's largest bank, which saw three name changes from Iowa, Des Moines National Bank, to Norwest Bank, Iowa, to Wells Fargo Bank, and two major acquisitions of Davenport Bank and Trust in 1991 and Breton Banks in 2000 under his leadership. It was Horak who persuaded his bosses to spend $11 million for the naming rights for Des Moines' Wells Fargo Arena. Retired banker John Fitzgibbons was a great source when I began writing local history. Fitzgibbon led Iowa Des Moines excuse me, National Bank during the 1970s and was instrumental in the development of the 25-story financial center, Des Moines Civic Center, and the first Skywalk, among other projects. West Bank's David Miller did more than anyone to transform West Des Moines from a sleepy suburb to one of the fastest-growing communities in the country during the late 20th century. And finally, Bank of Iowa's chief, Holmes Foster, Foster, I should say, was the driving force of Iowa bank reform in the late 1980s and 90s, 
later as Iowa's banking superintendent, he was a key advisor to Governor Tom Vilsack and to me, David Elbert. Des Moines has always been an insurance town, and EMC Chairman Rob Kelly considered it his personal duty in the 1980s to instruct news reporters about the intricacies of insurance accounting. The chief executives at principal financial groups were also very understanding of the fact that many reporters can't do math. So thank you to David Hurd, Barry Griswell, and Larry Zimpleman for your patience. And again, that's a column written by David Albert of the Business. You've been listening to the Business Record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele. and want to thank you for sharing your time with IRIS and wish you all a very happy new year. I look forward to continuing the reading of the business record in 2024.